This episode is in partnership with Authority Magazine. Authority Magazine, a medium publication, is devoted to sharing in-depth and interesting interviews featuring people who are authorities in business, pop culture, wellness, social impact, and tech. It is time to talk about mental health, and today we're going to do just that. Mental health is a subject filled with fear, denial, and all kinds of trauma for everyone involved. Which is why today, Pamela Harrington joins us from the organization Bring Change to Mind. Pamela, welcome to Believe in People. Thank you. It's great to see you both. Pamela, can you share a little bit about yourself and what brought you to the nonprofit organization Bring Change to Mind as executive director? Sure. Um, I have been in the nonprofit world for upwards of 30 years, which is um, a little remarkable. Um, Time moves far too quickly. I've been in the mental health space for 24 years. Um, I started, I I started politically, actually, trying to change the world in D.C. through being a Schedule C in a presidential campaign. race uh, or in a presidential administration and then quickly learned that um, I was not going to be able to influence and change policy and people's lives through politics. Um, so I, I changed um, tr- uh, changed direction and went into the nonprofit field. I worked in the um, breast cancer awareness space for about 10 years and um, I worked for an amazing woman who created the pink ribbon. And mm-hmm. back in the 90s, mm-hmm. when no one was talking about breast cancer, and we kind of started the first cause marketing campaign around the pink ribbon and trying to raise awareness and funds around um, breast cancer, uh, clinical and genetic research specifically. Um, and I was approached by a family in New York City um, who had recently lost their son to mental illness. Um, and at that time, this was again, 24, 25 years ago, no one was talking about mental illness and they had seen the way the the pink ribbon campaign caught on and suddenly funding was coming towards um breast cancer and how um media was taking it you know uh, time and, and space to put public service announcements out there suddenly everything changed um so i went to work for them and i um helped put um, it was called the Judd Foundation. It is the Judd Foundation. Oh, yeah. Helped put Judd Foundation together with the founding family, and um, and it was pretty much crickets. You know, people were not willing to talk about mental illness twenty five years ago. Um, Twelve years ago, I came to bring change to mind, and so I have been in this space and have um, seen a remarkable change. Um, and when Glenn Close founded this organization, the, the mighty actor and advocate Glenn Close, um, and when she called and she said, you know, I, I really respect the organizations that have been working in mental illness, and I want to lend my name and my platform and anything I can do to help amplify conversations and normalize conversations around mental illness. And I found that to be an incredible challenge to take a, an idea, a very nascent organization that had really just a file box um, and say, would you take this on and try to grow it? So I've been here 12 years and trying to normalize mental health conversations. 
Well, a couple of things. One is Glenn Close has a personal connection to uh, mental health uh, through a relation. Um, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that. But then again, you know, I, I also really wanted to ask you, you, you talk about the Pink Ribbon, for example, um, Movember, uh, which is a men's prostate type of um, research and, and something that people are getting behind. Um, but there's still a stigma when it comes to mental health. Tell us why. Tell us why. When uh, Glenn, you know, as, as a public figure, you're often called upon to get behind various causes and campaigns. And um, when she spoke to her family, she, um, you know, she was doing things for the environment. She was doing things for pet rescue, for dogs, for, um, you know, a number of different things. And she looked at what was very deep rooted in her family and what her family needed. And at the time, her sister um, had been undiagnosed with bipolar disorder at 50 years old. And, um, and her nephew, uh, who at 18 was um, really, really having a lot of struggles um, personally and socially. And um, Glenn stepped in to try to help them get proper, uh, a proper diagnosis and treatment. And as she, and thankfully, you know, Jesse got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Kaylin got diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder in this very small Montana community that they lived in. When they came back from their treatment and their hospitalization, no one would talk to them. The stigma around having a, a diagnosis and having treatment and having been in, in a residential treatment um, was something that was looked at as frightening as shameful as something that you stay away from you know it it maybe it catches maybe they're dangerous um so that was the first thing that really brought glenn into this understanding that you know one in four people is is dealing with a mental illness and they're likely not telling anyone not asking for help not getting treatment feeling self-shame um because of this very generational stigma that has been kind of passed down through all these older generations. You know, you put it under the carpet or you put that loved one in a, you know, in a, in a place where they're not going to be disruptive. Right. So the loony bin. Yeah. I mean, those were terminologies that we all grew up with. Um, and we lost a, a, a beautiful segment of society through, through um, difference. And so now, I mean, the stigma is still there. It is still, there are still pockets of cultural stigma. There are pockets in this country where, you know, in rural communities um, and in, in certain ethnic communities where you just don't talk about um, mental illness because it's, it's thought of as a weakness. Yeah. And also too, I mean, even the stigma around getting help in certain, um, in certain cultures and communities are just is, is frowned upon. And so that just adds to this, the challenges, but I, I find too, Pamela, and I all absolutely appreciate the fact that you have to hone in and focus on a, on a, on a, on a community or a group in order to grow. And is that then why, and I, I appreciate the fact too, that you're research-based so yeah. that you're, all of your programs are research-based. Is that why you started or are landing on youth, like high schools, you have 440 programs in schools, something of that nature, but what, what was the thinking around youth? Are they the ones to spread the social 
um, uh, education around this? We've learned. Um, when we started 14 years ago, um, Glenn called Ron Howard and right. put together a big public service announcement that we broadcast out and had billions of media impressions. And it was trying to focus on everyone. We want to talk about mental illness. We want to normalize mental illness. Um, and then we had everyone in Grand Central Station with their diagnosis on a t-shirt. It's an amazing PSA. We still have it out there. What we learned and when we brought a scientific advisory council on board is that how are you really going to focus and change the attitudes and behaviors of certain populations? If you go broad-based, you know, maybe it'll land on those that are in the choir, those that are actually open to the messaging. Um, so we decided that we needed to focus. And so we started actually with a college demographic. We um, went to Indiana University in Bloomington, which is, you know, 40,000 students on a campus and started tracking an incoming, incoming freshman class over the course of their four years at the university and had every kind of measure from, you know, interventions and education and awareness with residents, advisors in the Greek system, athletics and the wellness centers from the top, from the president uh, down to the student groups. It became a, a club. At the end of those four years, we published that research and yes, it worked. Stigma was decreased across the campus. Um, and then we just realized we have to go younger. You know, by the time a student has gone off to college, um, it's great there are preventive measure, measures there, but if we can assist the students before, you know, while they're at home with their with their families, and you know, obviously not everyone goes off to college or university. So if we can look at high school students, so nine and a half years ago, we started a pilot um, here in the Bay Area with UCSF and UC Berkeley and um, measured with this peer-led evidence-based high school club if we could change attitudes and behaviors amongst these uh, 15 to 18 year olds. Spent two years out in the field, pulled all the data in, published that research. It was working across urban, rural, high-income, high low-income, um, charter, public, private, parochial. It was working. So we started rolling that out. Um, we're in 42 states now. Um, have put over 100,000 teenagers through this, this high school program. Um, and now we're looking at middle school because after a pandemic and isolation and everything that's happening in our world right now, we know we have to go younger again. Well, you sort of have taken the next question um, right out of my mouth here. First of all, I want to say that I hope we can put a couple of your public service announcements, uh, tag them on to the podcast at the end because they really are brilliant. And I mm -hmm. I did find one quite interesting where Glenn Close, the bunny boiler, yes. uh, <laughs> is involved in one of the PSAs where it's like psycho, psycho, psycho. And then, and then I guess it's her nephew that comes on and says, you know, look at me, I'm not a psycho. I, 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 I do have mental illness, but you know, what have you. Um, but I was going to ask, look, we have two wars going on that are on the front page every day and on the news every day. Uh, both of them I personally find very upsetting and they affect me uh, every day as I go about my life, trying to interact and trying to be kind and open with people. Um, as you mentioned, we had the pandemic, but the pandemic hasn't gone away. Um, we've just had an uptick, especially with um, you know, people traveling over the holidays and sorts of things. So, I mean, all this stuff is floating around out there. 
the counseling that you're uh, doing is obviously helping, as you've just told us, but it seems to me like anxiety levels. And now we've got a now we have a, an election coming up this fall, and we all know what's going on uh, with regards to the characters involved in that. Um, and I mean, there must be more need now than perhaps ever for these types of programs. How do you walk a kid through coping with this kind of stuff? I, yes to all. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, it was a hell of a question. Uh, anyway. <laughs> you know, um, we have never seen as, as much need, um, all of us adults that have been able to see, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. We know that things correct over time. We've built up hopefully some resilience over, you know, the, the course of our lives. We have we have a bit more perspective. When you look at some of the the teens, they um, they have a very very different attitude. Um, everything coming at them, and you know, the noise. It's just it's constant. Um, you mentioned the wars and the pandemic. And um, I would say that in dealing with um, many of the kids that we work with, this um, climate anxiety and eco-anxiety. And I mean, there are so many reasons for them to say, why bother getting good grades and going to university? Because there are not going to be jobs out there anyway. AI is going to replace everything. So, I mean, there is not a segment of their life that is, um, you know, that might look optimistic, but I think when you bring it all back and let me just say that we don't do counseling, this is, this is a peer led club. So it is a space where they can connect. I think that it's that human connection and that empathy and that compassion that kids don't always have the opportunity to get that in person, to read each other's body language and you know, between having masks and being on social and, you know, that crick in their neck that they have from always looking at a phone, bringing students together and giving them an opportunity to pull others in. And they sit together at a lunch, you know, every every week and the, the clubs are open to everyone. I think that that is this kind of missing thing in in all of our lives as we sit here on a Zoom ourselves. You know, I think that that personal connection is is really something that is going to help them to build those sensibilities that they need to have a positive outlook on things. And that might sound very, very simplistic, but that's, you know, it's kind of that that first step of understanding one another, understanding yourself, understanding resilience, understanding the way your brain works, understanding what mental health is, what it is not. Um, you know, all of these things put together just build these these really strong, empowered, um, mighty young advocates that go out and, and help their friends and push up to their teachers. And then they bring some of these things home and, you know, teach their, their siblings, older, younger, older generations and their family. They tell their parents, you know, what, what terms they should or should not say, you know, it's, it's um, really giving these students the opportunity to build something themselves and then all of us step back. This is this is peer-led, teen-led. We just give them all the tools and we empower them to go. Um, and I think that um, too many 
parents, um, probably myself included, you know, we, we got, we snowplowed, we took care of all of the things that might um, have gotten in the way of our students and our kids and, and growing. And the kids need that sense of independence and responsibility and empowerment to build things themselves, take care of things themselves. And, and this is what these clubs are doing across the country. And Pamela, how does it, so I imagine just like uh, changing a, a corporate culture, you know, where it takes years, as a matter of fact, but it always leads to the top buy-in to ensure that the uh, people are adopting new ways of doing things and respect and empathy and compassion. So for instance, you go into a school, okay, so you've, and how then do you communicate with the school to say, we'd like to start a group it's um, bring change to mind and uh, it's going to meet once a week. And then what, how does, what does that look like? Do you, do you um, submit information to people? How do they join? Then how does it then uh, disseminate out into their, their own community within the school? Uh, well, first of all, the kids come to us. They find oh, wow. us. Yeah. So this is not a top down. Oh, this, is, okay. this is a youth led movement. So a student will do their their online search. You know, what is an evidence-based club? They know enough that if they're going to introduce something to their school, that they better say evidence-based. Right. So they find us. We're one of the very few um, national evidence-based high school clubs. Um, they submit an application. They tell us why they want a Bring Change to Mind club. And then we ask them to find a faculty advisor that's going to be their club advisor. So it's like a Spanish club, a UN mm. club, anything like that. Um, they identify some student leadership, they sign a term of agreement, and then we, we have, this is a very high touch model. This is a sensitive subject. So we have one staff member for every 55 schools. So our staff person is helping the students in, you know, coming up with the activities that they're going to do on their school campus, helping the, the faculty advisor. We give them a $500 stipend, and then they have access to our portal that has every kind of discussion topic, link to movies. Um, we have Headspace meditation app that they oftentimes start their, their club meetings with a, a meditation. Um, they have activities, they have budget lines, they have talking points, they have press kits, everything in there. So they can pick and choose. If they're in an inner city community where homelessness and food insecurity is an issue, they can go down through the portal and find out this is this is a conversation that's going to be really relevant to my peers. If they're in a rural community in Indiana, and it's, you know, something around politics and red state, they can go there. So it's or, it's or farm suicide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I've done several stories on farm suicide, which is yeah. something people in cities don't realize goes on day in day out. Yeah. Um, so these kids contact you. Is yeah. that an indication that there is a need? Oh, gosh, yes. We have a waiting list at all times, at all oh. times. And it's only gated that, you know, we could have thousands and thousands of schools right now. But we want to keep the integrity of the program and make sure that it's high touch. So unless we can hire more people to oversee the clubs, I can't bring these, these, more, these more clubs on. Um, and oftentimes the letters from these students I mean, there's been a loss or multiple losses of life on their campus. And the administration is, is in a panic. The parents are fearful. No one knows how to talk about it. Well, and I mean, the kids just good, need a place themselves. We, we didn't even, we haven't even spoken about um, school shootings, which and is, shootings, yeah. 
I mean, which, you know, there there are debates going on uh, here in Chicago where I'm sitting about, you know, whether to still have police officers inside the schools. And the fact, you know, I come from a different era. The fact that you would even consider having a cop in your school is something that's complete anathema to me. But this is, these are the things that that these kids are confronting. Mm Wow. So no wonder they need you. Exactly. And and so, and uh, Pamela, where do you rely on your funding? Uh, we have been doing one event a year. <laughs> um, and that's probably how you heard about us. I'm not sure. We had a, we have one big event that goes between New York City and San Francisco. Yes. Um, and we award the Robin Williams Legacy of Laughter Award each year. Um this past year, we honored Ryan Reynolds with the Legacy of Laughter Award and Robin's children, um, his son, Zach, is the chairman of our board. Um, so we do the one one big event. We have a couple of corporate sponsors. We are trying to bang on the doors of every state and federal funder that I keep hearing that there's so much money that's being released for mental health. And I have yet to see any of it hit the ground. So I don't know where that is. Um, And, you know, over the past 14 years, we have had these very loyal, loyal donors that give us $10 a month. (laughs) They come online, they've seen a PSA. That's great. And I, you know, it's, it's been a real humble, (laughs) we were a small group. We don't do marketing. We don't do PR. We don't market this program. The kids find us. It's, um, it's been a small and, and mighty labor of love for everyone involved in this. Um, I will say this year, I want this to be our year of brag. And I was always told, you know, never be a, a, a braggadocious kind of person. But I want this to be our year of brag because there are so many incredible, impactful things happening in this organization. And I don't know why everyone doesn't know about us. <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, a million more after this podcast are, you know, going to be banging on your door each week. We ask the same question to our esteemed guest. Um, despite all the negatives that we've talked about, uh, and despite the challenges that uh, young people are going through, and you are out there trying to assist in whatever way you can, why do you still believe in people? I, well, I'm an empath. I. I see I see so much hope in this younger generation. I'm a little fearful about the older generations. <laughs> um, you know, sitting up watching New Hampshire last night. Um, I believe in these kids. They never fail to inspire me every single day. The things that they come up with, the... Um, they are so empowered. They're not going to look at a system as it stands right now and say, you know, let's just go and try to tinker with it and change it. They just want to blow it up and do something right, start from scratch. And, you know, I believe in so many of the systems that we have out there are broken. The, the mental health and policy and insurance, all of that is rather broken. But if we can take and empower this younger generation get them into mental health career paths. And so many of our kids want to go into behavioral health career paths. 
Yeah. Everything's going to change. So I believe in these kids. I don't believe in everyone. I, <laughs> I, I, I certainly don't. Um, but I believe in the, in the kids that we work with every single day and the incredible staff that we have and our board and all of the volunteers that, that help to, to help um, just really invest in our future. I think it's worth it. That's really what it is, investing in our future, you know, and bringing, um, bringing change to mind is exactly what you're doing. You're amplifying hope. And thank you for that. And we, we absolutely believe in you. <laughs> well, thank you. And I hope Thanks. all of your listeners believe in this too. And we <laughs> would welcome much. a million people knocking on our door with $1 <laughs> in their hands. That would be great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank you so much for an insightful half an hour. I, uh, I, I, Feel a little hopeful, more hopeful myself after having met you today. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Pamela. You. Appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Bye-bye. I think it's interesting, Kev, because uh, kids go to uh, the organization rather than the organization going to them. So they've already defined that they need something and there is a resource in which to help them. So it is really a, it is a collaborative um, experience that they're, that they're trying to share. And that's and incredible. And the challenges, uh, the, I mean, in my view, as an old guy, uh, seeing the challenges that young people are facing today, I think it's, I think it's wonderful that there is a group out there that is allowing them to explore mental health issues among themselves with their friends, take it home to their family, and perhaps get rid of some of these stigmas that we've all grown up with and obviously still exist. Um, if you want to uh, discover more inspirational discussion, uh, then uh, subscribe to our podcast, Believe in People, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks, everyone.